Well, uh, we're in this series called Seven. It's week four. So for you uh, quick mathematicians, we are over 50% uh, done. Uh, isn't that, I'm quick like that. And, uh, and so uh, I want to do a quick recap because maybe you've missed a week. Maybe it's your first time here today. Maybe you uh, slept through the first three weeks. And, uh, and so a quick recap of the first three churches before we get into today. Uh, this entire series is based off of uh, the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. And, <coughs> excuse me, it's Jesus' kind of performance review of the church collectively, but also we know that the church is made up of people like you and me. So it's also an individual review. What are the things that the, the church was doing uh, really, really well? What are the things that the church needed to work on? And these seven letters to seven churches in seven very specific cities, yes, they were written some 2,000 years ago, but they're applicable to you and I today, and they're applicable to Renaissance today. So week one, we looked at the church located in the city of Ephesus, and their key word there was the word isolation. They had kind of became this... Uh, Christian bubble, this church bubble, so much so that Jesus said, wait a minute, you lost your first love. This church stopped loving Jesus. They were so busy doing, 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 doing. And Jesus said, well, that's great, but I'd rather you first relationally connect with me and then do. But spend more time being and becoming than doing, 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 doing. And likewise, they had become this bubble where they kind of shoved, off, shoved out the culture, uh, the people living in their city. And Jesus just simply said, well, no, you're supposed to love Jesus first. And when, when you and I, when we love Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, then we will love our neighbor as ourselves. We'll love the people that are unlovable. We'll love our enemy. We'll love the people who think differently. We'll love the people who have different beliefs. We'll love people that have a different moral Compass. We'll love people that irritate us. We will love people if we love Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, you, you lost your first love. And it's something that we need to be very careful with as a church, both collectively and individually, that our love for Jesus only deepens, only strengthens, only grows. The second week, we looked at the church located in Smyrna. And the key word there was the word prevailing. This is a church that only had encouragement. They didn't have any correction attached to that letter or any rebuke attached to that letter. But, but Jesus was just saying, you are suffering immense trials and persecution, both by the government, by other churches, other faiths, other religions. And Jesus just said, just keep prevailing. And we looked into James chapter 1, where it says, consider it joy, my brothers Brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because when you do that, when you persevere, your faith will be made complete, lacking in nothing. And then last week, we looked at the church located in Pergamum, and the key word there was the word deception, and how they had these outside kind of other types of church organizations like the Nicolaitans and the Balaamites kind of infiltrating and influencing the church And Jesus just said, no, this book must be your guide. This book must be your GPS. In everything you do, this will keep your paths straight. Keep this at the core, the center of your life. Well, today, we're going to be looking at the church located in the city of Thyatira. And the key word there is the word seduction. 
Ooh. Right? Just that word right now. You're like, oh, I'm going to listen now. <laughs> he has my attention. It's church, and the word is seduction. And uh, it's going to probably maybe mean a li- something a little different than maybe what you're thinking right now. Maybe. What's interesting about this letter to this church located in the city, Thyatira, is that it's the longest out of the seven letters, the longest letter to the church located in the city that we know the least uh, about. We just don't know much about this city. Historically speaking, there's just not a lot about it. It it wasn't this this center of uh, uh, religious... uh, uh, worship of idols like uh, Ephesus or Smyrna was. They didn't have these massive temples built at the center of their cities or overlooking their cities. Uh, they had temples, but they weren't the splendor and the grandeur of these other cities. They weren't worshiping Caesar like, like Smyrna was. It wasn't this economic stronghold like we saw with Ephesus and, uh, and uh, Smyrna. They didn't have huge harbors. They didn't have a harbor at all. They weren't a major uh, trade des- destination. Oh, they were on the trade route, but people were just passing through. One thing we do know about Thyatira is that, that uh, they were kind of this military stronghold. They were a key military city, minus really being a stronghold. Historians said that this city had no natural uh, uh, barriers or boundaries. They, they were just kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. But they would see armies coming. And their number one goal militarily was just to slow down the invading armies. They were a speed bump along the path. Could you imagine living in that city? No chance to win. (laughs) No chance to do anything significant. All they said was slow the armies down to allow Pergamum to get ready to fight the real battle. But something else is interesting. And this will show up several times as we read through this letter. They were known for their guilds or their craftsmen. That was kind of what this, this city was known for. Craftsmen doing uh, textile work or masons or carpenters or carvers or glass workers or dyers. And they literally were, were artisans in their craft. And they believed that they had the secret sauce, the, the secret of their artistry. And we'll see this come back as we read through this letter that Jesus had John write to this church. So let's, let's jump into this. Verse 18 of chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write. Remember, angel means messenger or herald or spiritual leader. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And there we see quickly, right, this imagery of Blazing fire and burnished bronze, which you go back to this whole thought about guilds and craftsmen and tradesmen. And quickly, Jesus is connecting into their culture. This is what they would know. This is how some of them lived their lives. But also, these are the the word pictures that John used when he saw Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. When he saw the risen eternal king, Jesus. This is what he saw. Verse 19, I know your deeds your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Great specific encouragement. Jesus said, your love. You haven't lost your first love like Ephesus. You're serving. You're, 
You're doing what I've asked you to do, both collectively as a church and individually. And then I love the line when he says, that, that, and now you're doing more than you did at first, meaning that they were growing as a church. They were becoming the church that God had designed them to be. And that's why we have and will continue to talk a lot about this Renaissance 2.0 vision. It's why we're spending so much time. There's why there's so many people helping jump onto teams, be part of teams to help this church to become what God desires this church to become. We're not there yet. We have a lot of work to do, and it's incredible to see the progress. And God was saying, Jesus was saying to this church in Thyatira, hey, where you were and where you are now, great progress, way to go. Then he turns the corner, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, okay? It's like Jesus, like, here it comes. Great job in those areas, but there's something that I'm kind of upset about. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Now, I don't know for you, but isn't that a seductive name? Like, right? Jezebel, right? Can you imagine if that said, you tolerate that woman, Norma? If your name's Norma, I'm sorry. <laughs> it was my grandma's name. So I'm sitting at my desk going, what name could I use that's not seductive? And her name came to my mouth. It's Norma, plus it's my grandma. She could never be seductive. That's just, right? But right, just the name itself, right, is seductive. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. Now, we got we to gotta get our arms around this word prophet because so many times we think prophet is that person foretelling the future. And throughout the Old Testament, that's really what prophet meant. Uh, people foretelling the future, what's to come. But something happens as we kind of go into the New Testament era. The word prophet, yeah, there's a piece of it that means foretelling the future. And you can see glim- uh, glimpses of that throughout the New Testament. But the broader, bigger definition or the bigger thought around the word prophet was someone who could take God's word and teach it clearly, could articulate it clearly, could motivate people through God's word to action, could sit with, a, a, with an individual, a group of people, could preach the scripture. What we know is this woman Jezebel was a prophet. She was a spiritual leader, a spiritual teacher. Where? Within the church. Last week, right, we looked at these outside groups, the Nicolaitans, the Balaamites coming in. Now we're in this church in the city Thyatira, and we find Jezebel in a position of leadership in the church. Bring it to this day and age, she was on staff. She was a pastor. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. By her teaching. Okay. Position within the church. And her teaching is misleading. Now, we go back to this whole guild thought, these craftsmen, these tradesmen. This is what we do know. It was very common. Let's say uh, if you were a carpenter and you're part of that guild, 
Every guild had a god, small g, that they would worship, that they thought they got their secret insight, their secret artistry from. And so it was very common for them to worship that god of their guild. And so what would, they, what would happen throughout the year was they would all gather together, all the carpenters would gather, gather together, or all the textile uh, workers, or all the dyers would come, would come together, and they would celebrate and have these huge feasts where they would take animals, sacrifice the animals to that god, small g, and then they would eat the meat. And Jesus was saying, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not so much about eating the meat. It's the purpose of the animal. You're participating in idol worship. You're participating in worshiping another god. Which, I mean, it's kind of clear, right? The Ten Commandments, that, that's towards the top of the list of what not to do. But you see, these celebrations, these feasts, wouldn't just stop there. They'd quickly turn into these drunken orgies. And Jezebel was saying, Ah, what's, what's so bad about that? I could just hear her saying thoughts like this. Jesus is old school. Jesus doesn't understand what's going on in the culture today. That was then. If Jesus understood what we're dealing with and what our city was like and what other people were doing and how culture has shifted and morphed and changed, you know what Jesus would say? Go for it. That's okay. Jesus doesn't want us to shove these people out. Jesus doesn't want us to separate ourselves. Jesus wants us to be tolerant. And you're fine. Because you, you know who the real God is. You're not really participating. And, well, if you're there hanging out, maybe you could witness as you're getting drunk and other things. And she just started twisting and positioning and misrepresenting. You know, what's interesting is so many times we think this book isn't relevant for today. Like, if Jesus knew, you know, we're more advanced today intellectually, we're more advanced as a culture. And this book, yeah, it's a great roadmap for, I, Chris, I get, it's a great roadmap, but, you know, come on, welcome to this new century. Welcome to this new way. Welcome to, like, not everything we have to live by, because, again, this is an old book. This is several thousand years old. You know what's interesting is this church in Thyatira with Jezebel and everything she said. I mean, we're talking a few decades after Jesus walked in the earth. You see, this is not a new issue for people to try to take this book and and put it on the shelf and say, I'll follow most of it. Things have changed. We're more tolerant. We're more accepting. Less restrictive. Last week I shared a verse with you in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Talked about that there's going to be this this time where, where people won't want sound doctrine that they'll gather around them a group of teachers that will teach them what their itching ears 
want to hear. And that's what was going on inside the church of Thyatira. Jezebel, she was itching the ears. Do whatever you want. Party away. It's okay. Jesus still loves you. That last part is true. Jesus does still love you. The word seduce, so many times uh, it's used in more of a sexual connotation. But the definition to seduce or seduction is to lead astray, to lead or draw away. And Jezebel within the church was leading and drawing people away from the life that God desired them to live. She was leading them away from God's roadmap. She was leading them away. Question for you is this. What seduces you? Let me me kind of even the playing field. All of us here, including myself, right, we're all sinners. Like, we've all missed the mark. uh, The simple definition for sin is missing God's mark. All of us here, like, let's just, right, we all, I think, including myself, like, we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We all have messy lives. We all have secrets that we don't want anyone to know about. We all do that. So what seduces you? You know, one of the things that seduces me is in that bag. It really does. Like, I mean, I've had a lot of willpower this week uh, because I knew what was in that bag. For some of you, you're going to see what's in that bag, and you're like, really? But for some of you, you'll know. I can't have that in my house because it talks to me. <laughs> it calls my name. It, it has a power over me. And, uh, <sighs> Sometimes, sometimes I have power over it. Like today, you'll see incredible, incredible power. But I've already told my wife, it can't come home with me. They're they're not just Oreos, are they? Oh, regular Oreos? Nah. The little 100 calorie packs? I'd rather eat sawdust. These? Seriously, like, they now make these with an, with an easy open pull tab. Just. Oh, the smell. I wish, I wish we could have you all smell. Right now, my mouth is watering, right? Like, I really want... Just 
So here's the, here's the thing. Here's my issue. For some of you, you're like, uh, I could eat one. You know how you eat a double stuffed Oreo? <laughs> There's a, you just, you twist. Oh, so gen- Oh, uh, can you tell? I have a, if there was a spiritual gift of Oreo eating, I have that gift. God has given me that gift. You twist off the top, right? This you might eat, depends on the day. You might just discard or give it to the dog. Um, but if you really, really want to eat a double stuffed Oreo, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know, there is nothing, nothing. Oh. Right now, I have this thought in my head to dismiss all of you and sit here by myself and just consume. But one double stuff, not this version, but the regular version of double stuff, the one, one is 70 calories. 70. There's 10 in a row. That would be 700 calories. There's three rows. It's only 2,100 calories. Like, if I consumed that just in a day and ate nothing else, other than the chemicals and all that other stuff in them, it'd be my daily allotment for calories. I can't have these in my house. I literally said to my wife one day, when she came home with double stuffed Oreos for the kids, for their lunches, I said, honey, you, you, you can't do that, 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 that. Don't remove them from the house. Because there's, they're in the pantry, and I hear them call out my name. You think, they're like, they're like going, Chris, eat me. I walk by the, the pantry, and I'm like, I feel like I'm being like, Pulled into the pantry. If there's a room for a chair, I'd just sit in there, right? It's one of those things that drags me away, pulls me away. And I know you're saying, well, Chris, really eating one Oreo is sin. No, probably not. Well, I, I don't know. It's not in the Bible. I, don't, I mean, Oreos, sin is, but Oreos aren't in the Bible. But what I do know is eating the entire package is probably underneath the umbrella of gluttony, which is a sin. And I'm not sure between one Oreo and the entire package where that line is drawn. And I can't stop with one. I can't. I've tried. You know how powerful the rationalization side of our brain as humans is? Oh, it's so easy to say, I'm just going to eat one. And then one (sighs) turns into two, which turns into three, which turns into only four. I mean, that's a nice number. And then all of a sudden, at some point, I go, well, if you're going to eat four, eat the whole row. (laughs) You know, you're feeling it. My question for you is this. And by the way, these aren't coming home with me. What's your double stuffed Oreo? What's that thing in your life that seduces you? What's that thing that draws you away from the relationship God desires to have with you? 
What's that thing that has such control of your life? What's that thing? We all have them. And they're a lot more uh, destructive than a double-stuffed Oreo. In James... I just couldn't stare at it for another 10 minutes. In James, it gives us this incredible, incredible picture that I think all of us have faced. And it kind of puts it into, into words when we, when we start talking about temptation and sin and that whole, that whole picture. James writes, he goes, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. You have to realize, I've heard people say, well, yeah, God, God tempted me. No, God, God can't tempt you. God is the absolute definition of holiness. He can't tempt you, but he allows it. And I've had people ask me, well, Chris, well, why, why would God allow us to go through this? Why would God set this whole thing up in life to allow us to go through temptation, to hit these moments? It all goes down back to the garden. He gave Adam and Eve a choice. Because that's the ultimate definition of love. Can you make someone love you unconditionally? And God set up the choice. Who are you going to choose? And James is saying, whoa, 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 God can't tempt you. But he's going to allow it to happen. And who are you going to choose? Are you going to be seduced by the world? Or are you going to keep your eyes set on him? But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. The word enticed is this fishing term. That literally means to bait a hook and drop it in the water. The word dragged away was a hunting term. Talking about luring animals into a trap. Our own evil desires. Entices and drags us away. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin when his full grown gives birth to death. Is desire sin? No. Is temptation sin? No. Like literally right now, there's a reason, I threw that. C.S. Lewis said this, Jesus is the only one who truly understands the power of temptation because he never gave in. He lived in the tension. Think about that. There's this incredible tension right before you sin. You know what I'm talking about? And think about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 4. 
He says that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. He lived in the tension. What happens when you give in to your evil desires? What happens to that tension? It quickly just dissipates, doesn't it? Oh, the shame rolls in, the guilt rolls in, the regret rolls in, right? All that else, all those other emotions roll in, but that tension leaves. And Jesus spent his life here on this earth living in that tension because he was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. There's three steps I just want to encourage you with today. Because again, I know in this room, every one of you, including myself, we have something in our life right now seducing us. And it's probably something that no one else knows about. Because we're trying to do it on our own. And the first step, and it's one of those steps, it's in the Bible, and it's not one of these churchy things. It's what Jesus commands us to do. The first step is to repent. It's a change of heart, a change of mind, willing that you need to turn away from whatever that thing is and head towards Christ. And it's over and over and over again in the Bible. God's saying, turn away, head a new direction. Jesus said, I have given her, meaning Jezebel, time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. And I think it's amazing that Jesus has this person of spiritual leadership, spiritual influence in the church, and he's still giving her time. She's leading people astray, and yet he still gives her time. So I'll cast her on her bed of suffering. I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intentionally unless they repent of her ways. I'll strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I'm the one who searches hearts and minds and I will, will repay each of you according to your deeds. I know there's words in there like, you know, killing children and adultery. And you're like, whoa, hey, what's going on here? Remember the imagery that the church is the bride of Christ. And what Jesus was saying was, Jezebel was developing her own church. And people were following her and her church. And they were committing adultery spiritually against Christ's church. And they were like kids following her. And Jesus says, I Search for the hearts and the minds. What Jesus is after is what's going on inside of you. Not this little world that you like to set up on the outside. Because he searches our hearts and minds. So repent. Turn away from. Walk away from. It, It must start there. A real desire 
to walk away from your sin, walk away from that thing that's seducing you, that's pulling you away from authentic relationship with Christ. Not just feeling guilty, not just feeling bad that you got caught. And that leads us to the second thing. And the word is confess. And I know right now, maybe some of you are like, oh no, do we have to set up a meeting with Chris and confess our sins? Yes. No, please. Please, no. Listen to what it says in James. James chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Tell someone. Tell someone. Don't sit there any longer thinking that you can control it, that you have the strength to control it. That's why I told my wife, don't allow these in the house anymore. Don't buy the kids any other types of cookies. Don't buy those anymore. That's why today they're not coming home with me. They won't. They'll end up somewhere in a trash can. I don't think anyone will want to touch them after my hands have been all over them. But don't. don't. You need to tell someone. But let me, let, me, let me give some wisdom into who that is. Make sure it's someone you can trust implicitly. Make sure it's someone who's not a gossip. Make sure it's someone who's strong, emotionally strong for you, who has the ability to walk beside you. Make sure it's someone who uses this book as a guide for their lives. Make sure it's not a Jezebel. And bring it out to the light. Satan has incredible power in the darkness when you keep it in. But as soon as you bring out that, that thing that is seducing you, when you bring it out to the light and you lean on to someone who's going to pray with you, who's going to ask you the hard questions, who's going to walk with you, who's going to hold you accountable now, God has incredible power. I had a good friend in town. And uh, he's training for another race. And he said, hey, Chris, I got a six-mile run scheduled. One go on a run with, with me. I said, sure, why not? And so we headed out on a six-mile run that turned out to be a nine-mile run. I'm not sure how that happened. And over the nine miles, he confessed to me something that was so deep inside of him that had been seducing him for countless years. And he goes, I'm telling you because I, I want you to be in my life on this journey. I want encouragement and support. I can't do this myself. He's brought in a very, very small handful of other people to walk beside him because he's tired of trying to overcome it himself and he knows he can't. So on the run, we prayed with our eyes open because that had been dangerous praying with our eyes closed. And we prayed for each other. And now I get to partner with him. Today, as you're walking out of here, text someone. I mean, text them simply, we need to talk. And that's all you need to put in the text because they will haunt you down until you talk with them because they're like, what does this mean? Right? That's all you need to say in your text. Call someone. Sit down with someone. But get it out into the light. And the last one is set guardrails. Set guardrails for your life. 
great, amazing guardrails that will help you stay on path. I had heard this uh, years ago, and, and uh, I'm not sure where I heard it, but it's already stuck in my brain. And so uh, I, I could just tell you that I made this up, but I didn't. But uh, great, simple guardrails. It's this word, halt. And uh, basically, it's when you're going through these things, you, you better stop and pay attention because this is where you're the most susceptible for sin in your life. The H stands for hungry. When your physical body is weak, guess what happens mentally? A is for ang- uh, anger. When you're angry, be very careful because those are the moments. L is for lonely. When you're by yourself, when you have no one else around you, And T is tired. When you're tired, when you're stressed, be careful. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. It's when Satan's going to pounce in your life. For some of you, you need more than just a friend in your life. And I would encourage you, we we have a counseling center up and running now. Uh, you can go to renaissance.org, click on the counseling tab, and it'll give you all the instructions, the email address, the phone number for you to get into professional counseling. Because for some of you, you need professionals to help untangle your past and the things going on in your life now to help you get on in, onto a path of recovery and healing. For some of you, you will need something like AA. And there's other groups that we can help connect you with because you need support and help and encouragement and you can't do it yourself. For some of you, you just need a great friend that you need to confess to, to bring them in, to help you navigate life. We all need this. We all need it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for uh, the moment that we could come in here together. I, I thank you for your word that just guides us. And Lord, I do pray. I pray for everyone in this room. Because I know right now there is something that has a strong, uh, seductive force in their lives that's pulling them and dragging them away from the life that you have created them to live. It's dominating their mind. It's dominating their emotions. It's dominating their spiritual walk. It's dominating every corner, every facet of their lives. And so, Lord, I just pray that today that you'll scream so loudly in their mind for them to reach out and get help, have someone to go on the journey with them because we cannot do this on our own. We cannot do this on our own. So Lord, I just pray that you will just be resilient as you speak into all of our lives so that we will repent and confess and set up guardrails to keep our lives headed towards you. And always, in your name I pray, amen. God bless. Have an amazing week.